welcome to Way Too Twog's Bagpipe and History Podcast, where I, your host Jeremy, explores the possible repertoire of 18th and early 19th century bagpipers. Come and let's enjoy some tunes. Hello, everyone. You may have noticed that this episode is out a little bit early, um, and that is in part because I am releasing that album June 3rd. Um, Right now, recording this episode, kind of 3 a.m., June 1st, and uh, the album is done. Finished the album earlier today. Um, Wasn't sure I was going to pull it off, (laughs) Um, but finished it. It wound up having like 40 pages of uh, liner notes as well as a tune book. Uh, So if you pick up the album on Bandcamp uh, and you download it, you'll get two PDFs with it. One of them is liner notes, which is, you know, about 14 pages of me talking about the tunes and where I got the sources. And then there's a 34 page tune book, which is settings for most of the tunes on the uh, album from like the archival sources that I was using. Um, Some things that are like There's a couple of Barry Shears tunes on the album, so, like, I didn't include Barry's work in there, because that's still, you could still buy Gathering of the Clans, and you should. Um, Yeah, but anyway, so if you are listening to this, uh, you know, and it's June 3rd, and you're looking at the time and realizing that in Iowa, it's uh, about 6 p.m., come and hang out. (laughs) I'm going to be... Uh, just doing a hangout, play some tunes off the album, and chat um, at 6 p.m. U.S. Central Time. Uh, yeah, so come do that. Uh, anyway, so I guess as a little bit of a, you know, most of this episode is going to be um, talking about Caberfay and Rakish Patty and the Brown and the Gray, and probably I have more Scottish settings than anything else. I thought I would just do a little kind of treat of... Um, of an all-Irish thing. Such as you're hearing in the background here, this is my uh, Jackson's Evenings Entertainment set, I guess, or Jackson's Entertainment is what I was calling the set in my head. Um, it's all tunes from uh, Walker Jackson's 1774 book, uh, Jackson Celebrated Irish Tunes, and that's uh, Jackson's Humors of Pachin, Jackson's Nightcap, and Jackson's Morning Brush. Anyway, so we'll let that finish up, and then we'll come back and talk about this incredible web of I don't know if it's even a web. It's just so... There's so many sayings for Caberfay. Um, anyway, so I'll let you listen to this sample track off Banics of Barley Meal, and then we'll start the episode. Thank you. 
Okay, so Calber Fay. Uh, this is uh, now the sixth time I'm starting this episode. Uh, this is going to be imperfect. Uh, that is the way that I'm going to have to approach this. Um, today I have found an additional like six or seven versions of this tune and an article that Matt Seattle wrote about it. Uh, thanks to Keith Sanger, by the way, for that. Um, so it's, it's just not, this isn't going to be perfect. Um, the reality though, is that, uh, I have a baby due in four days and I think it's going to really, if I don't release uh, an imperfect version of Cabrifay, it's going to be broken. And I do have thoughts about this tune and I'm worried I am going to lose them if I don't record the things I'm thinking about now. Uh, so this is probably like a volume one uh, of Cabrifay discussion and I might revisit it in the future. And, and then that way I'm going to let myself go. Uh, so let's start with my first exposure to this tune, which was playing as a pipe band uh, in college. Uh, I was introduced to Cabrifay by the First City Pipe Band and absolutely fell in love with the tune. To me, it seemed like the absolute um, quintessential Highland bagpipe tune with those low Gs and those high A's uh, for just uh, makes, makes for an awesome march. So uh, here is me playing uh, kind of that setting from the pipe band from memory. I have no idea where it comes from, if it's in Scots Guards or what, but this was my first exposure to Cabrifay. So the irony here uh, about what I thought about Cabrifay was that it's not a Highland bagpipe tune. Um, the oldest settings I was able to find for it called Cabrifay, uh, it is wildly outside of the range of Highland bagpipe. So oldest one I looked at for this episode is from David Young, uh, which is from the 1730s. And David Young's a fiddler. Um, but what's cool about that 1730s setting, there's kind of two settings of this tune uh, that are from around the same time. So David Young has several versions come out in the 1730s, and then William Dixon also has his version of the tune uh, around 1733, of course. Um, and they're clear, like, this tune is already robust. Like, Dixon has a ton of variations. David Young has something like 20 variations in one of the settings he has. Um, but... David Young settings go well beyond the range of Highland pipes, but it's interesting because they do use that leading note. Um, 
So the thing that makes a Highland pipe chanter interesting, right, is that it's got that low G and then you've got your scale. So low G and then A to A, um, unless you're playing extra high notes. Um, and, you know, that's sort of, a, that's a pretty important defining characteristic. The other bagpipe that did that, of course, is pastoral pipes. Um, so it is conceivable to me that if Caber Fay was a bagpipe tune at first, it would have been a pastoral pipe tune. Um, because Illin pipes, you know, like Irish pipes can't do that. Go have the lead-in note and then do another two octaves. Um, but a pastoral chanter should have, like, probably could do that pretty regularly. And I'm definitely heavily leaning towards getting a pastoral chanter from John Swain so that I can play um, David Young. So yeah, it's it's really a fiddle tune uh, that has just been perfectly adapted uh, and really creatively adapted to different bagpipes along the way. So, um, so yeah. That's that's been kind of my epiphany in doing this. Uh, of course, that Matt Seattle article that I found today um, says the same thing. Uh, this is definitely part of being an academic is you have a really good epiphany that you feel smart about and then find out that somebody else wrote about it uh, years ago. Uh, but anyway... I'm going to play an imperfect version of David Young's setting. Like I said, it goes well beyond the range of Highland Pipes. Uh, it honestly goes well beyond the range of... Uh, I mean, it's it's not playable really on Inland Pipes because the, the lead-in note is so important and kind of every version of Cabrefay needs that, you know, low G or low C. And I can't do that on Inland Pipes. Um, can't do that on Highland Pipes, do the side octave, but I thought I could do kind of a passable imitation of it using um, one of my new border pipe channers. So um, so let's, let's hear it. This is, like I said, it's not perfect, uh, and I'm definitely having to flub some notes, but this is David Young setting for Cabrefay uh, from the Drummond Castle manuscript, which I think is around 1734, something along those lines.
So I think one of the interesting things about this tune is that it is, it, there's so many variations of it. Um, like there are kind of three main families, I suppose, maybe more. Um, that's sort of one of the reasons why this feels imperfect. Um, I am not sure how to handle or interpret the differences between Cameronian Rant and Caberfay. Um, like basically, but if we're going to speak kind of broadly, I think you can you can break down. There there are certainly some musical things that are separating these these different versions of the tune, but in my mind, I just I am more of a social historian than a musical one, so I think of the social history of the tunes, right? So Caberfay, geographically speaking, you're going to find that in Scotland. Like that is where that tune comes from. Caberfay Gaelic means deer antlers. Um, so you see that in the Highlands and uh, settings up there. The interesting thing about that, right? Like, well, where does, there's there's a couple reasons for that. Maybe it's tied to military and um, like clan crests and things, or maybe it's just that people in the Highlands, what's the fun thing to do and talk about and celebrate is hunting a stag, right? So then we've got Caberfay. Here's one of the coolest tunes ever, and it's sort of talking about a deer and hunting a deer, maybe. Then you're going on to the Scottish borders and into England. And what's the tune about there? Well, generally, it's about horse racing. Like, John Patterson's Mare Goes Foremost, Black in the Bray, uh, Black in the Gray, Black in the All Black, um, something along those lines. The the title for the tune is sort of associated with, um, with horses and horse racing. Um, and in the borders, the cool thing about the tune is it's where it seems to lend itself the most towards sort of descriptive piece. Um, kind of imitative mimicking of a horse race sound is with that John Patterson's mare setting to the point where even uh, Davies and Davies Caledonian repository makes a whole descriptive piece and includes John Patterson's mare goes foremost as like part of the, the big storytelling epic. Um, and then in Ireland, because in Ireland, it's not quite as dependent on the written sheet music. It is just musicians exchanging tunes back and forth. I couldn't really find an interesting, um, an interesting observation to make there other than I just love that. Um, I mean, the, the most famous setting from Ireland is Rakish Patty. Um, but also we've got like sporting Pat and the teapot, I think, or the cup of tea. Um, there's just, there's just a bunch of different, bunch of different names for it. Um, Anyway, but the, the thing that's interesting about this melody to me is it is like, it's sort of perfect. It's like just such a, it, it, with a lot of tunes, um, you know, there's this challenge with playing traditional music where things aren't really notated explicitly for where you're supposed to put embellishments or that sort of thing, where there's a folk music tradition. There is a debate, right, about how much you can change a tune um, in order to not lose hope, like not lose control of or the identity of that tune. And there is something about this collection of notes that Caberfay is that just makes it, it's sort of like impossible to lose it. Like you can make all sorts of changes to this tune. Many musicians from different cultures have put their own stamp on it. And yet still you can recognize that as, Oh yeah, that's Cameronian rant. Oh, that's Caberfay. Or, oh, that's John Patterson's Marigos Hormost. Or, Oh, there's Rakish Patty. Like you can just, you can feel it still. And I, and I don't know. I don't know what it is about it. For Highland Pipes, to me, the thing that stands out so much is those, you know, those those high Gs, those high As, that 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 beat on the low G. It just it's so good. Um, but that does mean for a lot of the instruments that I consider 
it was really challenging. Um, you know, obviously for fiddles, it was great to be able to go all over the place if you had a pastoral pipe, but uh, it's interesting looking at these oldest settings uh, for bagpipes, sort of how they approached it. Uh, I, I should have got a fiddler playing one of David Young's just wildly complicated settings. Uh, but let's look next at John Sutherland. So um, we're just going to keep on the Caberfay train and interesting thing about Caberfay, so 1785, um, John Sutherland played Highland pipes, uh, and he also played Irish pipes. He may, I think he played pastoral pipes, I think his channer had a foot, but his setting for Caberfay doesn't use it, so maybe not. Maybe he didn't have a foot on his chanter to be able to play that, that low C. Um, so here we have 1785, an Irish piper living in Aberdeenshire, uh, and this was his approach to Caberfay, which he spells Caberfay. Uh, anyway, so here's Southern Manuscript. So that's Sutherland with a four-part setting from 1785 of Caberfay. Uh, the next one is another Irish pipe setting. This one comes from O'Farrell, right? So O'Farrell's uh, Pocket Companion, he publishes them in London. Uh, this is in either volume three or volume four. I, either way, it means that it's um, one of the older ones. Either It's uh, pretty old. Anyway, Caberfay again, spelled the same way. Pretty different setting, though. So here is O'Farrell's Pocket Companion setting for Caberfay.
There's something I always love about um, the Scottish tunes that O'Farrell has. O'Farrell toured around. He likely um, did some gigs in Scotland, as well as, you know, most of his performances, which are in England and London, really. Um, but the tunes that he plays in London, even though he almost certainly had Scottish tunes in his repertoire from, you know, living in Ireland, um, but I, I just like to think that the tunes he's playing in London are like the tunes that all of the Scottish businessmen and people are kind of obsessed with are playing, and so then he has to figure out how to do it. Um, and there's also just Scottish culture is becoming pretty wildly popular uh, when O'Farrell is playing in London, hence he is there playing for Oscar and Melvino, right? Um, anyway, interesting take on Cabra Fay. Um, I'm not sure, you know, just a two-part setting. Looking at what O'Farrell does with it, I don't think he is imitating a Highland bagpipe. I think this tune, he is still very much imitating a fiddle in terms of the range, but he's not using that leading in C note, right? Because he doesn't have it. Uh, O'Farrell's chanter, I don't think any of his music uses that leading in C note uh, in the pocket companions anyway. Uh, I might be might be wrong about that. Uh, anyway, so let's look at another source that is um, uniquely island. Uh, anyway, it's from Isla. Uh, this is an 1822 selection from Alexander Mackay. Uh, interestingly, in this, in an Alexander Mackay setting of Caberfay, uh, there is one low C in, sorry, uh, there are two low C's in the first part, um, and otherwise it isn't. Um, otherwise, uh, this would, this would be playable on Inland Chanter except for that. Um, anyway, I think I played on whistle here and I just, I just flubbed those notes, but basically it's, uh, he throw, he throw, he hum, bro, ha, he dum, bum, boom, beam, bum. That's where it is. Da, da, dun, dee, dum, ba, dun, da, Um, and I, I just flip it. Anyway, here is Alexander Mackay's 1822 sitting for Caberfay.
Well, I'm not sure that that one was quite interesting or distinct enough to include, but I wasn't like actively listening. I just had it on the background as I was getting ready for the next clip, uh, which is a setting I am really excited about. Um, this is one of the reasons the podcast got re-recorded. Uh, I kind of sent an email to Keith Sanger because I knew he had some Robert Miller material. Um, and I asked for the setting for that, that Miller had of Caberfe. I'm not sure when, uh, this was gathered. I know Miller was pretty active from like 1820 ish to 1845 ish. Um, so it's some in there and Robert Miller played Highland pipes. He also played Ellen pipes or pastoral pipes. Um, and he also kind of invented his own bagpipe, I think, sort of like the Brian Brew Channer. He developed a thing that had the extra keys. Uh, anyway, his setting for the Cabrefay, this is from a manuscript that he did, and it's a little awkward for us Highland Pipers because he is clearly writing Highland Pipe music, but he writes it um, considerably lower on the stave as if, um, you know, the low note for a Highland bagpipe would be low C. So it looks very much like an Ellen Pipe set of music or a pastoral pipe. Uh, anyway... Clearly he meant this for Highland Pipes, um, just based on the range of it, the limitations of it, and uh, this is the first time, so this is kind of the oldest setting I found, uh, realizing now I should have looked harder maybe in Donald McDonald, but I don't think it's in there. I think Cameronian Rant is in Donald McDonald, uh, but Caberfay isn't. Uh, anyway, so here is Caberfay from Robert Miller as a stress bay. This is maybe my favorite setting of the tune, as a stress bay for sure, um, mostly because it didn't a lot of times stress bass kind of intimidate me now. <laughs> like they kind of freak me out uh, ever since spending time uh, kind of talking with Barry and thinking about, uh, with Barry Shears and thinking about King Brenton stress bass. And uh, anyway, I just get in my head about them. And uh, this tune just, it was just, it's lovely. It's really good. Uh, a little hard to sight read because of kind of translating where the notes are supposed to be when I'm used to reading Highland Pipe music in one place or another. Uh, anyway, here is Robert Miller's setting for Cabrefay, uh, like I said, 1820s to 40s, and thanks again to Keith Sanger for the notes. just i'm such a sucker for that um for that last part the uh the like it's so easy and so effective like um anyway but it does what I said, you know, it's like you can, there's some interesting interpretations that Miller is doing here to, to make this fiddle tune fit and still be recognizable on Highland Pipes. Um, 
like there's no doubt that Caberfay is the same Caberfay that we heard from Sutherland and David Young and O'Farrell, right? Like there's no mistaking it, even though there's some significant differences between these settings. It's pretty cool. Uh, okay, let's uh, let's keep going. What do we got next? Um, I think let's go to William Gunn's uh, William Gunn's repository. So in Miller's collection, he mentions you know Caberfay, the Deerhorn, uh, Astress Bay. Um, in William Gunn's, William Gunn's selection is interesting. In the Caledonian Repository that William Gunn published, there's like, I think there's four versions, four, like all four of the things that we're going to be talking about. He's got Caberfay, he's got Cameronian Rant, he's got, um, I think he's got John Patterson's Mare, and he also has another setting for Cameronian Rant uh, called Beat the Redcoats at Culloden. So William Gunn was all over it. He had a lot of settings. Um, anyway, so he has got this. The interesting thing about Gunn's title is it's Caberfay, Deerhorns, i.e. Mackenzie's Arms. And this is sort of where it gets interesting too, right? That Caberfay is important symbolism in um, several, you know, Scottish heraldry things um, and winds up having associations with res regiments, uh, which has got some interesting tie-ins with like the Seaforth Highlanders and the Cameronian Highlanders. It's all a bit of a mess. And I think the book that I have that might talk about that in an interesting way, I have already packed and sent to North Dakota. So that was one of the reasons why this is a, we are going to talk more about this later. Uh, but anyway, here is William Gunn setting for Caberfay from 1848. Um, so definitely a Highland Pipe setting. Uh, interestingly enough, William Gunn doesn't have any repeats in this setting. I've been trying to be better about following the actual indication of the repeats rather than just what I feel like doing. I can't promise you that I did <laughs> pay attention, but if I do repeat stuff, just know that William Gunn doesn't have a repeat. And we are another setting that is one, two, three, four. I think this is another four part setting. Uh, anyway, here we go. 1848, William Gunn's Caberfay. Well, I would love to take another crack at that and get some phrasing and things in there, but uh, that's the take you you get 
uh, on this episode. Um, yeah, also, speaking of things kind of being less than satisfactory, if you haven't noticed yet, every time I'm playing Highland Pipes on here, I got one drone going. It's a bass drone, but like I said, I have a baby due in four days, so I think my days playing Highland Pipes are going to be taking a pause for a little bit, so I'm not in a super big rush to get a new set of drone reads, because that's where I'm at with my Highland Pipes, is need a bunch more another set of drone reads so we're just kind of kind of hold off on that i've got other quieter bagpipes to play while we while i finish my dissertation and move to north dakota and start raising a kid uh anyway um let's look at the next one 10 years later or so we've got angus mckay setting for cabra fame much shorter uh angus mckay setting from 1854 is just um yeah just two parts but Still a good one, I think. You know, and so William Guns is in 4 4 or common time, or whatever, and uh, Angus McKay's is in cut time. Probably should have made some adjustments to how I was playing it based on that. But anyway, here is Angus McKay, who does have repeats for those, uh, just this two part version. So they're starting to get a little repetitive, but this next one, uh, we're going to jump ahead to 1869 uh, from Willie Ross's collection of pipe music. So this is Cabrefe as a 2-4 march, and it it's definitely different from some of the other settings uh, in terms of approach and things. Uh, it's pretty, pretty cool. So, since, you know, we're at 1869, I think it makes sense to do the Goodman setting now. It's we I feel weird doing it because Goodman, you know, Canon Goodman uh, recording, kind of collecting tunes over in Ireland in the 1860s, and, and then some. Uh, some of his tunes don't have names in it, and Caberfe is one of them. He just calls it a real 
other people have come along and said, oh, there's Goodman setting for Caberfay. But there are so many Irish tunes that are really close to that that we don't call Caberfay. That it, like I said, it feels a little weird doing it like Sporting Pat. Um, kind of feels like it fits in here. Rakish Patty, famously. Uh, all those things. But uh, but yeah, because this is the one that Traditional Tune Archive has sort of identified as being, oh yeah, there's Caberfay. Uh, we'll just paste in Goodman setting here. Yeah, again, uh, oh, that's very interesting. So, so this setting, uh, from Goodman, like, you know, it, it really, now I wonder if this isn't a Alan Piper copying a Highland Pipe setting, because, uh, there's no leading note, and there's really a narrow range, right? So if we look at the, the older Alan Pipe settings from O'Farrell and Sutherland, they sound more like a fiddle setting where they're using the whole two octaves. Goodman setting here, it is basically one octave. So uh, there's there's high E's. So there's there's one note above a single octave uh, in the spread here, which is obviously really different from how most Irish pipers are, are placing it. Because again, the, the older version of the tune as a fiddle tune had a much larger range. So if this is a setting that Goodman recorded uh, of a piper playing a reel that is very much uh, Caberfay, I would guess that they picked that up from a Highland Piper that this, that might have come back, right? Uh, like might, might be you know, picking this tune up from a Highland Piper rather than or, or a war Piper, I suppose. Um, however you want to say that in Ireland, uh, but definitely kind of a, a new, a new take on it. Uh, anyway, let's go back to Highland Pipes. Um, some more real settings here. Uh, this is Caberfay's reel from John and Robert Glenn's collection for the Great Highland Bagpipe. You're going to start to notice that kind of the interesting thing about these settings is how they do that last part. Like, that's where a lot of really cool stuff, although, you know, so this is a, a three-part version. Um, and I guess the second, the second to the yeah maybe maybe there's a lot of interesting things going on at this one but anyway here is uh 1870 setting for cabaret from uh the glenn's collection for the great highland bagpipe
I have to say, apart from the obvious mistakes I made, um, also the Glenn Collection doesn't have any repeats. So I repeated that, but uh, in the Glenn Collection, they didn't. Uh, we're going to go on to another real setting. Um, yeah, real setting. This one's from Logan's Collection of um, Highland Bagpipe Music. It is, looks like it is also a three-part version. Maybe. Uh, this one also doesn't have any repeats written. Oh, no, there's the other part. So one, two three yeah one two three four that was riveting podcasting me counting um for one of the worst things that you can ever do with your music is not have the end of the part be at the end of the line like i don't I don't know why they did that. It's such a nightmare, man. Like, Patrick McDonald's got that, too. So many of these old settings are just like, well, yeah, that's enough measures. And then, um, yeah. I mean, I guess you mark up, you mark it up, and then you can see it. But it's sort of hard using digital copies. Um, I finally started using, um, like, little arrow markers. Yeah, I, I put all this music on PowerPoint now. So it's actually a good quick plug for the Patreon, I guess. Uh, essentially... Most of the episodes that come out, um, most of the episodes that have come out this season where it makes sense, like if I'm not just playing for a bunch of published collections or if it's an interview, um, I've put out like a little tune book that goes with it as well. And that has made my life a lot easier. Uh, when I was working up Bannocks of Barley Meal, I realized I was like revisiting tunes over and over and over again. So I was like, oh, I'm just going to put these all on a PowerPoint so I can quickly have access to them. And, uh, and yeah, that is super convenient. And so I started just releasing them as PDFs on the Patreon feed. So there's quite a few, um, probably like eight, eight to six little like tune PDFs that accompany the, the episodes. Um, and anyway, doing that, I have figured out occasionally, uh, I can just make a little arrow, uh, to kind of, like you would mark it up with a paper, uh, pen and paper, but you can make a little arrow on PowerPoint and point it out that way. Uh, anyway, this is a long ramble, but if you get uh, Bannock's of Barley Meal on Bandcamp, um, when you download it, you get the PDF there. And if you don't download it, I've actually got a, a link to the Google Doc, so you can, like, you can still look at it. You can still look at the tune book, even if you don't download it off Bandcamp, or even if you just want to go look at it. Um, but between that and the liner notes, there's like 40 pages of supplemental material to go with that uh, the new album, Bannocks of Barley Meal. Anyway, I have talked too much between the settings, and we're going to forget our thread of holding Caberfae's together. Uh, but this is the 1899 setting of Caberfae from Logan's collection of Highland Bagpipe Music. Uh, it's another four-part setting, and like I said, uh, Logan didn't include repeats, even if I do play them. <laughs> I did that that setting justice just because of how you know, Logan does some cool things with his embellishments um but yeah it's 
Yeah, I just any anytime Tarluas are written out as grips with some other notes rather than as we write Tarluas, I get a little too excited, maybe. <laughs> um but yeah. Logan loves just putting a random grip or D throw in the middle of a ring of eight eighteen notes or eighth notes where you're like, how is it supposed to fit in there now? It doesn't it's sort of hard, um as a person of today's piping persuasion to figure out how that's supposed to work. Um, but it's, it's a cool setting. Uh, okay. So let's, let's switch gears now to look at some of the Barry Shear settings. Um, we've gone all the way from just to recap, we've gone from 1734, uh, to 1899, uh, looking at different settings for Caberfay. And so now we're going to switch and look at, uh, some of the tunes that Barry has collected over the years. There are many different settings for Caberfay uh, that show up in Play It Like You Sing It, and I guess we will start with, what's the oldest one in here? Uh, 59, I think, is one of the settings that I did a real, I had a real hard time with. Um, yeah, this is Caberfay from Shears, uh, and it's uh, kind of from the McNeil manuscript, and this is as a stress bay, and uh, yeah, so that's my apology for it, is when I recorded this, I was still very much intimidated and afraid of playing stress bays, especially if they're supposed to sound like they came from Cape Britain, uh, Breton rather, but we will remedy that in a second. Barry play a stress bay eventually here, but I'm going to get through a couple more settings first. So that one's from the McNeil manuscript. Um, the McNeil manuscript belonged to Captain Angus J. McNeil, formerly of the 94th Regiment, Victoria Battalion. I'm just reading from the introduction here uh, in Play It Like You Sing It. Um, Order of the Tunes is, uh, and the handwritten manuscript indicates that it was unstructured and had been added to sporadically over the years and possibly starting as early as 1895 and certainly ending with the author's death in 1918. So, um, so yeah, it, it works out quite well chronologically. Okay, the next setting, uh, oh, I guess I'll just mention this. So, uh, it's tune 59 in the book, uh, Caberfay, the Stag's Antlers, setting one stress bay, also the Stag's Horns. This tune appears both as a reel and a march in the 19th century Scottish publications and was later arranged as a stress bay jig and hornpipe in the 20th century. Ooh, it's a hornpipe. When I first planned to do a Caberfay episode, that was sort of the reason why, is I wanted to see the hornpipe setting, and I don't know that I have yet. And I also don't know that I know what makes a hornpipe a hornpipe, so... Yeah, send me your favorite 
cabaret phase of hornpipe settings. Um, we're gonna look at that. Oh, this is gonna be a two-parter before I even get through Cabaret Fay. Uh, okay, let's go on to the next setting and play it like you sing it, uh, which is tune 99, I think is the, the next oldest one. This is Alex Curie's setting. Um, so Curie, uh, what do we got about Alex Curie? So, uh, Alex Francis Curie, uh, 1910 to 1998. Um, da, da, da. Alex learned most of his repertory tunes entirely by ear. Uh, the other Porsche de Buell, jigging, or a form of Canthrock. Um, yeah, so Barry interviewed him, and... Yeah, I don't have a great handle on dates, just from skimming this. Um, 1960s, uh, Alex Curie passed away in 1998. Yeah. Oh, man. This is a great book, man. Um, Barry actually just sent me another book of his at... Um, one of the things I'm looking forward to doing, I'm assuming that I'm going to have a harder time being able to just pop into this room and play bagpipes at 3 a.m., uh, which is sort of what happens occasionally. Uh, my wife is amazing. Um, I don't think it's going to happen with a baby, but I think what might happen with a baby is at 3 a.m. I can put the kid down and then read something. And so I'm hoping to read a bit of Barry's uh, thesis uh, as an episode two, which will be illuminating. Anyway, so Alex Curie passed away in 1998. Um, this is his setting for Caber Fay. Uh, if you have played like I, like you sing it, uh, I hear I just heard from Ryan Kirk who was on the podcast uh, back in season four playing guitar. Uh, he mentioned that he was able to pick up a copy by finding it in the wild at a bookshop in Nova Scotia. So keep your eyes peeled if you don't have this book yet. It's uh, it's really stunning. So Barry says about this uh, Caberfay to Stegs Antler setting one real. Alex played a nice setting of this tune during one of my many visits with him. When repeating the tune, which he invariably did, he interchanged two bars to provide provide an unexpected variation to the medley or the melody. I tried to figure out how to do that. I don't know quite what Barry's talking about. Um, but I do think, is this one of the ones I have him playing? It is not. <laughs> it's not one of the ones I have him playing. Uh, anyway, so I might, uh, my bug, my bug Barry to see if he's got an example of what he means by interposing a couple of the parts. Anyway, here is 299 from Plate Like You Sing at Caberfay. Again, these settings are so different, but still recognizable as Caberfay. All right, this one is uh, tune 159, Caberfay. This is from uh, Cape North in, and uh, in Ganesh. Uh, this is a setting made, it's tr Barry transcribed this from a recording of Rory McKinnon, uh, who was uh, a pipe maker as well. So pipe maker and player. And uh, here is his setting for Caberfay played by me first. And eventually you're going to hear Barry play this one. Thank you. 
yeah, that's maybe my favorite. Um, just like those, the, the ones that start there with that. Uh, okay, next one, another uh, setting from uh, this time, the French Road and Grand Myra. Um, Mira? Myra? Feel stupid. Should look it up. Not gonna. Running out of time. Uh, anyway, this is Cabaret Fay. Um, this section of the book comes from uh, Joe Huey and Duncan McIntyre. Uh, I feel like I hear Barry talk about Joe Huey a fair amount. So, uh, anyway, this is Cabaret Fay, the Stakes Antlers. Um, what Barry says about this tune is this is a regional setting of a classical tune, or classic tune, compared to the settings 99 and 159, which we've just listened to. Anyway, here it is Cabaret Fay. really fun i can feel myself though like it, it makes me nervous when barry says pay attention to the regional differences um one of the things that is scary for me about recording so many settings of the same tune um is that my approach to reading sheet music is always like they are guidelines it's not a rule and uh i will often kind of make adjustments to how i want to play it i try not to uh when i'm doing things for the podcast uh, especially if I'm recording multiple, you know, versions of the same tune to like really highlight differences. But if you do so many of them, like say, uh, say you're entering minute 57 of a podcast and you've still only played, you've literally only played different versions of a single tune on minute 57, like it can kind of, I worry that my brain's going to auto-correct things. Uh, anyway, like I mentioned, I'm a little nervous about playing so many tunes from Kate Breton, uh, as somebody that's interested in that music, but doesn't have a great handle on it. And so I asked Barry if he had any recordings of himself, um, playing these tunes and he did. And so I'm going to play a set from Barry. Uh, this is him playing a couple different settings of, um, of Caberfay. Um, this set is made up of, um, Cabaret based on Joe Huey McIntyre's playing, then Beaver Cove is a real, uh, and then Chain Isle Gino Ormsa, sorry about that pronunciation, then Cabaret the Down North setting. Uh, yeah, so those are tunes 206, 94, 177, and 159 on uh, his Scottish Small Pipes, which I'm pretty sure were made by Ray Sloan. Uh, episode coming up. Um, of me playing some Ray Sloan small pipes that I was lucky enough to borrow. Um, but yeah, anyway, uh, that's right now it's scheduled to come out in July. Not sure when that episode's going to come out, but anyway, that doesn't matter. Let's listen to Barry play these tunes. Um, like I said, all these tunes are available and play it like you sing it. That book is becoming harder and harder to get, but it is just getting cooler and cooler. The more I read it and the less I just play the notes, <laughs> but if I actually read it, it's, like the notes are great too the thing about barry's books is the notes are great and what he's writing is also great um anyway so here is 
uh, Barry's Cabaret set on Scottish Small Pipes.
You know, so uh, right around 1869, uh, whatever the setting was from 1869, uh, I was getting bored of Caberfay. I felt like, nah, I, I should skip a bunch of these. I'm not feeling it anymore. Um, and then I looked at the setting for 1869. It was that 2-4 March, and I was like, no, dang it. That one's actually kind of interesting and does something cool that I want to listen to. And then the next one did something cool, and the next one did something cool. There's something magical about this tune. Like... I don't know. It's really great. And like listening a set where Barry has put a couple different versions of Caberfay in it. Like I can recognize those as Caberfay, but I'm also like, yeah, put those together. Like I want to hear multiple settings in one take and I'm, and I'm not sick of it. So that brief moment, um, for, for me, like I was getting tired of Caberfay right after playing, like I didn't mind Angus Mackay's setting, but I played, I think it was William Guns was just like, mm, nope. I did I did too many. <laughs> but then doing Willie, Willie Ross's 2-4 March, I was like, no, nope, that's pretty good. And it just, it has just kept going. I just keep being interested in it. So it makes sense to me that this tune has a staying power to have these wildly elaborate variation sets already established in the 1730s by fiddlers, and then have Highland Pipers kind of go nuts with it in the 19th century all the way through the 20th century in Nova Scotia having, what, half a dozen pretty distinct different versions we just looked at. And then still today, in 2022, uh, grade one pipers competing with it. Uh, so that's what we're going to go out on, actually, is um, I noticed I'm, I'm pretty friendly with Brian May on Facebook. Um, just, I don't, I don't know if anybody has experienced this, if if Brian has, like, blessed you with, <laughs> with this, but, like, man... He, every once in a while he'll comment on some music that I'm playing and he just has this way of saying the thing I need to hear the most about it. Like when, when Brian May offers up praise, it's like, Oh, that makes my heart just warm and want to play music forever. Uh, but anyway, I've been, like I said, I've been working on this Cabaret episode forever. And I saw Brian post that, uh, he went to his first solo competition of the year at the Colonial Highland games in Maryland. And he wound up getting first place. Um, and his MSR included Caberfay. Um, yeah. So I asked him like, Hey, what were you, you know, what's the Caberfay? Do you have a recording of it that I can play in the podcast to send it out? And he had, uh, he has a video, uh, of himself kind of warming up with it. So we're going to play that. Um, so a, you know, 2022 grade one Piper taking first place in uh, playing Caberface of Trespe, which is really quite different, obviously, than um, kind of Barry's playing and, and my playing of all these kind of old school reels and Trespe's. Very different sound, uh, the grade one kind of competition uh, approach to these tunes. Uh, anyway, so that's that's going to be it. That's that's this episode. That is a lot of Caberfay. Um I honestly expected to just do like, I was going to limit it to like five settings and maybe I should have, but whatever, we're done now. We did it. Um, the funny thing is that all of these people that have settings for Caberfay, many of them also have settings for the other tunes that are related to it. So in part two of our Caberfay episode, we'll see what we get through, but we still have John Patterson's Mare Goes Foremost, The Black and the Gray, Cameroonian Rant, Rakish Patty, uh, The Cup of Tea. We've got guest musicians, Tiernan, um, and the Goodston, uh, sorry, the uh, Goodman Trio. Um, so yeah, there's there's lots more to come. Is there somebody else? Maybe I'm forgetting somebody else. I was thinking about including Patsy Tui as well, but I'm not sure. 
I feel like if I've got Tiernan, I don't want to have a bunch of different people doing Rakish Patty. Um, but yeah, anyway, so we've, we've got lots more to come kind of in this theme. I guess I'll, I might just go and record that right away right now. Uh, if you like the podcast, you can support it on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash way Um, and over there you'll see booklets and bonus episodes. We've well over 10 bonus episodes now. Um, every level of support, you can listen to the bonus episodes. You get early access to episodes over there. Uh, I might not go and record part two, Caberfay episode. I'm either going to record it right now or I'm going to go to bed. And then it might be months and months and months later. Um, just because of the schedule here. Um... We'll see. That's a weird way to leave an episode of maybe I'll see you in two weeks, or maybe you'll hear a guest host, or you won't hear me till July, and it will be nothing to do with Cabaret. Um, but that's the way the cookie crumbles. Uh, a lot of change happening in the old way to twog's life. Um, which is, it's sort of, uh, it's weird. It's weird, y'all. I've heard so much. Y'all are a quiet bunch. I don't hear a lot. <laughs> Everybody, people are pretty generous and comment on my videos sometimes, but I honestly don't hear a lot from listeners. And uh, there's a handful that reach out pretty regularly and I appreciate it. But there's been a lot of new people emailing me this, this last couple of weeks as I've been kind of realizing I need to take a step back from podcasting to finish some other things and get moved. Uh, it's been a really hard decision because it's it's just so awesome to hear from everybody. Uh, hear from everybody. So uh, thank you, everyone that's reached out. Um, and hopefully this episode isn't going to be nearly as early as I had hoped. Um, but hopefully people are able to come by and hang out a little bit uh, for our concert and album launch on Friday, June 3rd at 6 p.m. U.S. Central Time. I'm going to be talking Bannock's a Barley Meal. Um you can actually already go and listen to the entire album on Bandcamp. You just can't buy it yet uh, until June 3rd. And uh, yeah, I hope you like it. Like I said, if you download it on Bandcamp, you'll get uh, 34 pages of a music book and then an additional like kind of 15 pages of just my thoughts about the tunes and autobiographical stuff related to them and links to the archival notes um, or the archival sources. So anyway, cool stuff going on. Um, thanks for the support. Probably you'll hear me in two weeks with part two of this Cabaret episode, or you might not hear me until July. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, let's go out with Brian May playing Estras Bay. Um, like I said, this is just him warming up. It's not actually him competing and winning, but uh, feels like a good way to finish the episode. Stay tuned for more of these tunes. Cheers. And thanks to Barry for all of the help and uh, uh, kind of support with tunes and music. And uh, yeah, thanks to Brian. And thanks everybody for reaching out, emailing, and uh, buying the album when it comes out. So cheers. Here's Caberfay as a stress bay as a grade one piper competes with it in 2022. <laughs>